Hey, everybody. Welcome to Making Sense of It All with Jesse Stakes. You know, one of the reasons or one of the inspirations that I had for starting this show was to be able to dive a little deeper into people's stories and into certain topics that I had interest in that I thought other people would find of interest as well. I hope that it would be a resource to everyone who tunes in so they could learn just a little bit more about something that they, you know, maybe didn't think about before or something that they did, but they just didn't have the time to look into it. This week, I wanted to piggyback off of our SBA show that we just did. Banking at its core is a relationship. An SBA loan at its core is simply a commercial loan that has a government guarantee that allows the bank to take more risk than they would if they had to take on 100% of the risk if it was a portfolioed product. It allows the government to share in that risk with the bank and hopefully do more business than what they would typically do if it was just them taking it on themselves. There's far more to the SBA than that, but as far as SBA loans that are delivered through banks, I think that's a, that's it in a nutshell or in its, you know, kind of its broadest sense. That's what it is. When you step back and you take a look at what a bank represents to the community, they are essentially stewards and gatekeepers of the country's monetary system. Whomever you choose as an individual or if you're a small business owner, it's important that you have a relationship with your banker. It's also important to have a relationship with the company that you choose to do your banking with. You know, recently I had somebody provide me a copy of a book. It was kind of funny. It's called I Hate My Banker. But really, it's it's a book that's written as an essential guidebook for borrowers who are looking to improve their relationship with the bankers that they work with and also for bankers to improve their relationship with their clients. It was written by two people in the financial industry, a gentleman named Brad Kuhn and a gentleman named Ryan Tennyson. It was actually written over 26 years ago. It came out in 1997. And granted, there's a lot of things that have changed in the, over the last several decades. The principles of this book still ring true today. It kind of walks through things in a literary sense, telling stories about conflicts that frustrate both bankers and borrowers. And it attempts to provide insight for both parties. Put, I recently put out an invitation to both Brad and Ryan if they would have interest in joining the show. We'd certainly love to have them. And the book was great and entertaining, and if I can point you guys in the direction of copies of it, I certainly will. I've said it before. Understanding where we're headed requires understanding how we got here in the first place. I think there's several topics that are important to highlight for everyone, and I think the first one really needs to be the Glass-Steagall Act. The Glass-Steagall Act was passed in 1933 and it separated investment and commercial banking activities. It was because of the stock market crash of 1929. Combining commercial and investment banking was considered too risky and too speculative and widely considered the culprit that kind of led to the Great Depression. Banks were mandated to choose either being a commercial bank or being an investment bank. So let's talk a little bit about what actually happened in 1999 with the repeal and the passing of the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. The limitations that were imposed on the banking sector by the Glass-Steagall Act sparked debate over how the restrictions are imposed, how, how it actually worked. Many argued that the bank's ability to diversify their activities would actually reduce the risk to consumers. I get that. It makes a lot of sense. The more things that you're involved in, the you get your profitability spread over, over multiple activities, then you don't have to put it all on the customer or it allows you to be profitable in different directions. 
Some economists actually argued that the law stifled the commercial banking sector until its repeal and prevented it actually prevented economic growth. Others believe that it prevent, prevented market volatility and it actually aided in the prosperity of post-war years after World War II. Well, in 1999, Congress partially repealed the Glass-Steagall Act. The establishment of the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, or the Financial Services Modernization Act, as, as it was called, eliminated the Glass-Steagall Act's restrictions against affiliations between commercial and investment banks. The FDIC insurance was not disabled as part of the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. FDIC insurance remained in effect even today. So many economists believe that the speculative and risky activities that followed the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, including the rise of subprime lending, actually led to the financial crisis in 2008. Some people say that it actually contributed to over $5 trillion worth of bad mortgages, um, amongst other things. Um, I think that there was positives that came from it. And I also think there are negatives. I would say there's people far more educated than I or far more intelligent than I could, that could speak on that. I will tell you this, though. Since 2008, the banking industry has changed tremendously. Millennials and Gen Z are, you know, they're looking to walk away from brick and mortar banks and they're looking to, for online options. There's fintechs that have jumped into banking that are looking to accelerate the adoption of digital banking in many different shapes and forms. Their entry into banking has also drastically cut fees and it's also encroached on big bank income their revenues, and their profits. Banking is a continually evolving industry. I think it's tremendous, again, it's tremendously different than what it was. And I think it'll be tremendously different 10 years from now than what it is. So for a number of years after the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, banks bought into multiple revenue generating businesses with the theory being that this would enable them to generate income through multiple sources of revenue and have to rely less on the revenue that was generated by their core products of deposits, treasury services, and loans. Essentially, they could stay profitable to shareholders, but they could offer their clients a better cost of doing business with them. You know, there's all kinds of services that got added. You know, just to name a few, insurance services, payroll services, getting into the health and benefits world, wealth advisory, 401k products, and so many others. It's kind of interesting because in recent years, you've seen that trending away. There's been many of the larger banks that have sold off some of their ancillary businesses. And yes, they've profited from this on one-time sales, but I think there's deeper reasons why they've chosen to divest themselves of these businesses. Let's take a look at insurance. So bank acquisitions of insurance brokerages have been on a steady decline for the better part of the last 15 years. But in 2007, these transactions represented 21.7% of the total insurance brokerage mergers and acquisitions. By 2012, that percentage dropped to 6.4%. And in 2022, it, they only represent 2% of the total mergers and acquisitions in the insurance business. Additionally, as banks rebalance towards interest-producing revenue streams, there's been an increase in the number of divestitures of fee-based businesses. I think you can look at this several different ways, but my take on this is as, you know, in, deposits have been very cheap for a long time. People weren't getting paid on deposits until very recently with banks. 
banks had a great spread on loans. And so banks were making a lot of money on their core products. They didn't necessarily have to stay in some of these some of these other businesses in order to be profitable. You know, will this change now that interest rates are starting to increase? I think we'll know the answer to that very soon. And I think ultimately, banks serve two masters. They have investors that want to see profitability and returns on their investments that they have made. And then you have bank customers who want to pay a fair price for products and services that they utilize on a regular basis. And they also want to see a fair return on their deposits. In my opinion, outside income streams help make both points possible. So this is very interesting to me. And I think it's something that, you know, in further episodes with guests that I would love to invite on, um, we're going to dive into this a little bit further. We're going to talk about, you know, what these what these outside income streams could possibly be, how it benefits the customers from, you know, again, I think positively uh, and how it benefits the banks as far as being able to diversify their revenue streams. And as interest rates increase, it allows them to have ways that they can offset this for customers. I also look forward to having discussions about other financial products and services that we all utilize on a regular basis. We talk about technology all the time on this show and how it's reshaping our world in so many different ways. Technology has become a must in the banking world. The ability to connect with your accounts on your phone or to do business on it, it's become normal. I look forward to having some of the experts in their field in treasury management services share more with everyone on what that looks like behind the scenes and what we can expect that's coming down the road. What, you know, what new products and services are coming that are going to make things easier for us, make transacting better, more efficient. There's so many moving parts in the banking and finance world. If I can help shine some light on it and bring information to everyone so that they understand more fully, or if they can truly learn something, I'd say mission accomplished. If you'd like to hear more about anything specific, if there's any topic that's on your mind, if there's anything that you'd like to learn about, shoot me a message. So this was a short episode this week, and I really just wanted to put a period on our episode that we talked about SBA. And again, I feel like we just scratched the surface with banking. There's so many products and services that we all use on such a regular basis even if you're someone who doesn't think about it too much, you use the products and services. When you use your debit card, so much more complicated than just inserting it into a machine or swiping it. You know, when you log onto your online banking, there's so much technology behind that. When you when you go to look, when you're requesting a business loan or a mortgage or a line of credit or any of that, there's so many things that go into that decision that you never think about, whether it's you know, things from the federal government and how the banks have to comply with the federal government regulations to the, what are the loans are on those banks book? Like how, you know, how full are they with hotel loans or with lines of credit to, you know, insert industry here. But there's so many different things that go into decisions from banks. And there's so many different things behind products and services, again, that you use every single day that we'd love to talk about. We'd love to shine a little bit more light on. So that's going to do it for me this week. I'll catch you guys next time.